My number one question for people that want to get into marketing is to ask them, how risk adverse are you? Do you like to take chances? Do you willing to kind of gamble a little bit? So, you know, are, do, you, do you like to go to the casinos or anything like that? Because I tell people, if you're farming, you, you're already living in a casino, so you don't really need to go to one. A whole new era of communication in the crop industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds in the crop industry right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to the field, to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. Welcome to the Crop Science Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and all that's working in the global crop industry. Welcome to the Crop Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Arnell. I'm the Precision Nutrient Management Extension Specialist at Oklahoma State University. Today, I'm happy to, to welcome our guest, John Laporte. John is a farm business management educator with Michigan State University Extension. He's based out of Cass County, Michigan. His main area of focus is guiding farmers on how a better understanding of their farm business can lead to improved decision making. This focus includes an emphasis on cost production, financial analysis, and risk management. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. So kind of give uh, give our listeners a little bit of background on you, how you ended up at Michigan State University and uh, in your position, and then kind of drop into some of the stuff you're doing. Sure. Uh, well, I actually started out after uh, going through college. I actually worked for uh, USDA's Farm Service Agency as a loan officer for roughly about six years. And then I actually transitioned from uh, being a loan officer to going into agronomy sales. So I've actually, uh, I'm a certified crop advisor. I continue to maintain my CCA. Did that for uh, a number of years and then uh, made my way over to uh, MSU Extension from there. And so between my two previous lives, as I call it, um, and I always joke that I used to be the person people came to get the money from. Then I became the person I wanted them to spend the money on. And so, so now I'm the person that's kind of off to the side telling you which person you should probably listen to. Um, and so uh, I, I've kind of dabbled a little bit still. Uh, a lot of the production type things I learned from uh, my agronomy sales days, the financing end of things. Uh, I do a lot of work uh, lately, especially has been around risk management, crop insurance, uh, been getting a little bit more into marketing, been doing quite a bit of work. You're trying to keep tabs on what's going on with the farm bill and understanding some of those commodity programs and where we think maybe things are going to go a little bit up in the air at this point in time as we're, uh, we're doing the recording here. But uh, I do a lot of work around that, but I especially look at uh, opportunities to work with new and beginning farm managers. So either people that are uh, starting out fresh, their own business, or maybe they're transitioning. They've you know, part of a family farm, but they're kind of new to the management side of things, kind of thinking about some of those business decisions that kind of tie into some of the production activities and how does that influence the money you make or the expenses you have. Uh, and so I, I kind of dabble in a lot of different areas, but still centralized around cost of production and, and risk management to, as much as possible. So before we go into, you know, your, your day to day and what you're doing, I did, you said something kind of triggered a thought. What's it like? You said you've gone through a couple lives before you ended up here. What's that like ending up as that that one that's giving the unbiased recommendation because you were you were coming from two different angles and now you're that 
unbiased representative of the data, the science, but you got to come from all angles. So spend just a moment or two kind of talking about those transitions. Well, it's a unique perspective because in in both my previous jobs, I, I fully understood what the requirements were, what the understanding and the logic behind the processes were. Uh, but it, it's kind of interesting now being kind of this this third perspective where how to help producers understand what those processes are. What are the steps you have to go through? Why are those steps there? What are the, in some cases from a financing standpoint, what are the concerns that are maybe are coming from your lenders? Uh, what are some of the concerns from maybe other investors? But then also from the standpoint of the products you're going to buy, uh, what are the things that maybe your agronomist or your nutritionist, because uh, I do work with some livestock farmers as well, what are the things they're looking at? And, and it's not, you know, everybody that works in sales, of course, they want you to spend money, but the the end goal is they want you to be profitable because they want you to keep spending money down the road. And so it's it's kind of understanding the approaches from both of those and being able to talk to producers about this is what you're trying to get to. These are the options that they're presenting. Let's think about the questions you need to have answered or that you need to answer to make sure you're getting all the information you need for your specific situation. And I find it really interesting now being in this role that uh, I still kind of go back to those other viewpoints and often approach it from a standpoint of, okay, here's what they're looking at. Here's what you need to answer. What's that missing gap maybe in between that we got to sort out to, to get you on the same page. And it's usually a case of, the, the different sides are not as far apart as what they may be seen to be in most cases, but it's kind of almost the idea of you don't know what you don't know until somebody points it out. And so that's kind of what I try to do a lot of cases with people and the various topics and things I work with is thinking about what's maybe missing in that gap that uh, kind of helps connect there. So, so speaking of gaps, talk to us a little bit about some of the, the opportunity you see or some of the biggest opportunities you see for risk management within your region? You know, what, what things are people most commonly missing out on or forgetting about when it comes to uh, risk management strategies? Well, risk management is, is almost like this big umbrella term because we try to push so many things underneath that, that phrasing or that category. And I think one of the, the main things, and I, I try to talk to people a lot about this, is we have crop insurance. Uh, a lot of our, our our crop growers like to use uh, revenue protection. It's, it's a very popular program. And most people that have it fairly understand that your revenue protection is looking at trying to provide you protection between both price and yield. And what often people don't think about is, or maybe, maybe miss out in that gap area, is that you can actually use that insurance information to help give you a little bit of confidence when you go to market your grain. Uh, marketing is such a tough area for people. It's uh, you know understanding the different contracts and what the maybe your options are out there is is maybe the easy part of marketing, but knowing when to to set that contract or, or how to manage through what's the market's telling you gets a little bit more complicated. It's uh, but the idea is that. The crop insurance is an option that you, because it's based on revenue, you can actually give yourself a little bit of confidence that I have some coverage, I have some protection 
when I go out to do some marketing. For example, um, for people that have revenue, and in most cases, the, the revenue protection, uh, what I've typically seen, for at least for Michigan, is uh, we seem to have a range of the coverage level between 70 to maybe 80%. You can go up to 85%, but depending on the premium you're paying, maybe keeps you from going that route or not. But if you thought about it from a standpoint of, well, that's based on, say, 70%. Well, that's 70% of my expected yield times this expected price that's going to be out there. Well, if I have protection on yield and I've got some protection on price, I can go out and market up to that coverage level um, and have some confidence that if, say, prices are down or yields are down, that I'm going to have some insurance that can kind of offset some of the concerns. Because you know, marketing, I think the two biggest concerns people run into among all the different factors is, am I going to have enough to fill the contract? And what if the price goes up? And and if you got both that you're staring at, boy, you, you get really nervous because now you got to fill a high price contract um, or, or you've got to, if you don't have a high price contract, but you got to fill it, you got to go buy a high price grain or, or somehow figure out how you're going to fill that, that contract. And one of the examples that we, we've gone through with people that I like to kind of come back to, a colleague of mine actually developed this, was you think about your, you've marketed a certain amount of grain at, say, that's, say it's 70%. Well, you know what that is worth because you've got the contract out there. Say it's a horrible year and you only get about 35% of, of those bushels. You've got just, you're going to have to go out and buy the rest. Well, if the market price is higher, the way that revenue protections works, your coverage is actually higher, so your payment goes up. You can use that payment to go buy those bushels. Now, if, if your contract that you contracted out there is higher than what the bushels are, well, that's an advantage because you're going buying less uh, you know, bushels at a cheaper price to go fill this contract. Um, but even if it's at a higher price because the revenue gives you higher coverage, higher payment, you're still offsetting the, the, bill, the ability to go off and fill that contract. And so I, I often think that's a gap where people don't look at, how do I combine my insurance coverage with that marketing strategies to give myself a little bit of, of protection, a little bit of confidence, knowing you can't move it all at once. So you still want to plan things out. You want to kind of think about how you're going to move the grain and do the contracting. But that's a safety net that's sitting out there um, and I, I try to spend time with people that have that to talk about, okay, you've got the revenue insurance. Let's talk about your marketing. How are you, are you using the two in any way, shape or form? So, so since you already talked about marketing and I look at marketing, um, especially on the crop side, right? So we're going to keep this on the crop side. So marketing grain crops uh, along those lines, is there, if you're speaking with a producer who's considering getting into marketing, is there certain characteristics or traits that make a producer more likely to be successful in marketing? Or you'd say, you know what, maybe you should just sell across the scale or, you know, do the more traditional route. My, my number one question for people that want to get into marketing is to ask them, how risk adverse are you? Do you like to take chances? 
they are willing to kind of gamble a little bit. So, you know, are, do, you, do you like to go to the casinos or anything like that? Because I tell people, if you're farming, you, you're already living in a casino. So you don't really need to go to one. But I always ask people, how risk adverse are you? Because if, if you're willing to kind of take a little bit chance and, and kind of see where maybe the markets are going to go, there are some there are some marketing options that you can look at. Um, but if you're if you're more risk adverse, if you want kind of more of a of a set uh, kind of known quantity, then uh, you, you kind of maybe think about things like a forward contract, um, something that's going to give you some certainty out there. Maybe it's a, a minimum price contract that you at least know what your bottom line is going to be in case it goes up. If you're a little bit more uh, less risk adverse, where you're kind of like, I'm going to take some chances, you might look at maybe a basis contract where you're kind of following that and say, I like where this is at now. I like where that local market's telling me that, you know, they're how much they want the grain. Uh, and I want to kind of see what futures does. Or you go the opposite route and do maybe what a hedge to arrive where you flip it and you say, I like the futures, but well, I don't like this local basis. I want to see if they're going to get a little bit more uh, needy for grain and that gets a little bit stronger. And you kind of only lock in part of that cash price. Um, and that's usually a good starting point that I think for people getting into marketing is you you got to understand where you kind of approach things from a risk standpoint. Because that'll give you a good direction on which options you would want to look at and maybe which strategies make the most sense to you. Because uh, if you're really risk adverse, uh, I would not suggest a futures contract or futures options. You're, you're getting really into risky territory there, and you've got a lot of bushels there you got to worry about. So I would kind of push pause on that if you're kind of risk adverse. So let's look at some other options. So I hear a couple of farmers, you know, every now and then they'll talk to me about marketing and they're, they're not going to get into it because they feel like if they're going to market, then they need to be becoming that marketer where their entire life is spent doing nothing but watching the markets every moment of every day so they could make that call. Is that a reality or what's what's it really like for the average producer? Uh, I, th I think it's somewhere in between, really. Uh, I, I think you need to you need to actually pay attention at least more regularly to what's going on in the market. Um, do you need to watch it every day? Probably not. Um, if if you're going to be watching every day, you you might be in the wrong line of work because that's what the that's what the brokers are there for, and that, that's where some of those people, the great originators or the elevators, got hired. And that's their job. Um, but at least kind of keeping a, a little bit of an eye on it to at least check in and kind of see. You know, we hear a lot of things in the news, and usually when you see kind of the 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 big news items that, that kind of flash out there, that's usually a good indicator to say, okay, I need to go check, see what the markets are doing in reaction to this. Uh, I, I think the most important thing for people to understand is we get caught up trying to hit that high value. We want to hit the top of that market. That's not going to happen on average. I mean, you might do that once in your lifetime, maybe twice if you're really lucky. And if you do go buy a lottery ticket because your, your luck's really doing well. But, in case of we know some when we see something major going on, that's what shakes the market. Um, I, I think back to uh, you know when we had uh, the big drive for ethanol, and that price just kept going up and up and up. We were kind of living on this high, and then suddenly the bottom fell out of the market. And and when when we started to get indications of that, we we started to see some signals that we might need to be thinking about you know how we price things based on suddenly a downturn market. And you can kind of pay attention to those big news things. Um, 
you know, the WASD report from USDA is a really, really good report. Um, and so it's your world supply and demand um, for agriculture. And, and they give some really good information there. What's kind of going on across the world? What's going on domestically? And so I, I think people can kind of follow some of those things and get at least an idea of where the markets are going. Uh, checking in every so often with the people you're selling your grain to to kind of see what they're hearing because you're still selling to a local market. So you want what the local folks are doing. But I, I don't think you have to sit there every single day at a computer screen watching every little tick to see, okay, am I going to am I gonna make this decision now? And then five minutes later, you're going to regret it. No, I, I don't think you need to get that extreme. So I know, I know, you know, Michigan's, uh, you're, you got some wheat, not a massive wheat, say some wheat. Uh, in Oklahoma, we're seeing, and, and the Southern Plains in general, the Plains states in general, are seeing a, an increased trend. It's not a big trend, but increased trend in producers learning how to market to a specialty crop, especially on their wheat, uh, to straight to either Baker's Millers, you know, straight to that industry for the smaller smaller uh, millers and stuff. Is there anything in your region that you're seeing move there? Farmers are taking advantage of a, a more local specialized marketplace? Uh, to some extent, we, we've got a little bit of, of that going on for weed in certain areas because we've got some of those specialized mills that uh, they'll pay that higher premium. And so we, we've, we've had some farms have tried to take advantage of some of that. I tell you the more one of the most interesting things that's happened here over the last oh probably last five ten years has been the increase in looking at um, at least in my area of the state looking at the option of specializing into some of these specialty crops. Uh, we we're talking about potatoes, maybe some tomatoes. People are kind of putting those in the mix uh, to give you a frame of mind where where I'm at in the southwest part of of Michigan. Uh, we have a lot of seed corn that's grown. So besides commercial corn, we've got that out there. It's, it's almost kind of a specialty crop in itself. And people are always looking to maximize those acres. And so what do we put into rotation is, is something big that we've seen over the last, like I said, five to 10 years. There's a little bit more interest in that. Um, we kind of joke around, you know, this week is potato uh, field crop or is it a vegetable crop? Which, which direction are we going? Which farm are we talking to? Um but I think that's a, a big draw that people are looking at where those opportunities are. Uh, where I'm from, or in fact, or my, my family's home farm is, we have a, a wheat mill that uh, pays a little bit extra. They've, they're a lot more stringent on the quality of wheat they're taking in because of the fact that they're looking at a specialized market. But if you've got that good quality wheat, they'll, uh, they'll pay you that premium. And there are some producers that look more and more to that, especially as the price has been pretty good for wheat the last couple of years. There's been more interest in that. Um, and I, I, so I think we're, we're seeing some of that to some degree. Just from a standpoint of a lot of people are looking at opportunities to diversify and target some of those maybe niche opportunities that are out there that maybe didn't seem so niche years ago, but suddenly are looking really good opportunities. Uh, and so I think farmers in general will look for that. Uh, but I, I think the potato thing's probably probably the biggest standout thing I see around in my area over the last five to 10 years. So kind of, kind of, this might be a two-parter, I'm not sure, but as you talk about especially, one, one aspect of my job is I'm an agronomist, soil fertility type of, I never in a million years expected I'd have so much interaction with RMA. And it always goes back to, okay, are we bringing in a new crop, a new system? 
how is RMA, the Risk Management Association, did I get that right? Risk Management yep. Association. Risk Management how, Agency, I think. Agency. Yeah. I, I knew it was an agency. How is RMA going to deal with this? Like we recently really implemented a lot of double crop. Like we now have insurance on double crop. So a two-parter, I guess, would be, one, um, do you see the same interaction on, on where you're at, or is that more main campus on the RMA side? And if you're looking at a specialty crop, you're already expecting it's going to be potentially high reward, but are you looking for insurance options also if you're doing a specialty crop? I certainly recommend, uh, for to answer the second part of that, uh, I certainly recommend people look at the insurance options because... Specialty crops are not exactly the same in terms of insurance policies uh, as what we have for field crops. What's called yield protection in, in kind of the corn and soybean and wheat era is more called actual production history or APH. They operate very similarly, but it's a yield-based uh, type program. The closest thing you get to on a revenue side of things for specialty crops is really like a whole farm revenue protection or if you're a small, smaller size farm operation, maybe a micro farm program. And so there are some differences out there, but I, I certainly encourage people to look at those because as you're thinking about a high dollar type crop going out there, you, you want to manage that risk potential and see what are your better options. I have noticed um, the as we've been kind of working on looking at the insurance options, RMA's done some things to uh, to try to make things work a little bit more uh, unified across the board. Um, one of the big things I've noticed is some more of the specialty crops, potatoes uh, for Michigan, and then I believe it's uh, cabbage and then machine harvest tomatoes just gotten uh, cabbage and tomatoes were just here recently. Uh, you can now use those uh or set your coverage based on enterprise units, which means you can do the entire crop versus doing it by uh, a, lo a small location, whether it be a, a township or maybe it's uh, just based on your ownership percentage in, in, a, in a section. The, so the idea is you can do a little bit, because enterprising units, uh, the premium is usually a lot better. It's a lot cheaper uh, because you're looking across the whole crop versus being more specialized in a certain area. And that gives some more uniformity because we've had that option in our field crop protection uh, or insurance protection for a while now. And so I see movement from RMA doing that. Um, we there's there's a couple of folks I know on campus that are a little bit closer on the interaction with RMA on, on our campus than I am. I pay attention to it because where I'm at, uh, I have a lot of diverse farms that I work with, field crops, specialty uh, I've also got some livestock farms, so I, I try to keep myself knowledgeable as much as I can on a, on a lot of different areas, but I think that's the important thing is they're trying at RMA to make some better opportunities to provide better protection on specialty crop. It's a little bit easier in some ways for field crops because we've got the commodity futures to base pricing on. They don't have those type of things for every type of specialty crop out there, so as you're looking at different crops... Uh, I think that's why we haven't had the revenue option maybe sitting out there, but I can see that they're trying to make some movement there. So I always recommend to people, you want to protect that high dollar crop the same as you are any other crop you're, you're looking that you've been raising. So look at the same considerations, the same concerns, because it's sitting in the same field that that other crop you're looking to add in. It's got to go this, through the same growing season and might react differently than what you expected to from the other crops you've grown 
So if something goes wrong, especially as you're kind of getting kind of familiar with it and maybe you got to learn how to grow it a little bit differently, you learn a lot the first couple of years you grow something. The, the first time I grew wheat, boy, I, I, I learned a lot. Um, and I, I had a lot of good growers helping me, giving me good feedback. But the first time I planned wheat, um, it was it was definitely a learning experience. We, we had a decent yield, but we learned a lot of things about, you know, we're going to do this differently next year. And you run into those, and I think it's good to have protection on those, especially as you're still figuring some stuff out. Great. Um, so kind of want to transition a little bit and reading, reading up on you some, John. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the demand series, which you've uh, been coordinating? Yeah, so the demand series came out of, started from actually my, my time at USDA. Uh, a lot of the USDA loan programs that I helped uh, people work through are designed for beginning farmers. They're trying to help that next generation get established. And so I worked with a lot of folks. Uh, I could see some of the challenges that they would run into from kind of the financial and the business side of things. Uh, production stuff is much more fun. It's much more interesting. And But but there's kind of, I always say that production and finance and really the overall business uh, trajectory of your farm is kind of like a, a three-legged stool. They're, they're all important parts. And I was never in a position to uh, really help do a lot of education on some of those because of the fact that I, I worked for USDA. I was totally focused on, do we make the loan? Do we not make the loan? And so the demand series, when I got to extension, I looked at it and said, what are the needs out there? What can we start to do from the educational standpoint to help bridge that gap from the production practices, the fun stuff mm -hmm. to the, to the equally important stuff of the finance and the business side. And so, uh, I first looked out to who are my colleagues in extension that have similar interests and see similar needs. And we branched out and included some of our industry uh, contacts that are out there. So we have folks like uh, Farm Credit, USDA. Some of my old colleagues from USDA are actually part of the, the series. Um, and we have people like Michigan Farm Bureau and uh, Michigan Soybean Association are all important partners. Uh, we actually have uh, Michigan Agricultural Commodities just recently joined. And what we do is we get feedback from, from our industry folks. We get feedback from extension folks about what are we seeing out there? And over the course of the last several years, we've developed, uh, we're up to uh, 17 educational bulletins that cover a wide variety of topics. We have things on insurance. We have things on marketing. Um, we're, uh, we've looked at understanding the lending process for beginning farmers, farm management experience, your actual day-to-day -day decision making. Being able to articulate that and gain that's very important if you're looking to get any kind of financing. So we have some information around that and kind of some steps to go through, resources people can look into. And that's really what the demand series is all about is trying to just get that information out there. It's kind of designed from a standpoint of for, for people that maybe this is new information to them, we don't want to like dumb down the, the terminology, so to speak. We want to build you up to understand what that terminology means so that when you hear it in an extension meeting or you hear it in a, a production meeting or an industry meeting, that you don't have to sit there and scratch your head or get your phone out and try to figure out what did they just say? You already know what they're talking about. You're, you're ahead of the game that now you're at the point of understanding what are they trying to help you understand? Um, 
And we've we've developed uh, some webinar programs. We're actually going to be putting on some programs as part of a uh, uh, the Michigan Ag Ideas to Grow With conference. It's coming up in uh, late February, early March as part of MSU's A&R Month, um, uh, Ag and Natural Resources Month for, for those for the non-MSU folks. So it's it's a nice program that we've continued to build and grow that's really focused on helping new and beginning farmers understand a little bit more of the finance and the business side, but as much as we can, we try to tie in some of that production stuff too. Maybe look at fertilizer planning. Um, we've got a pestic- introduction to pesticide planning that's in the works, that type of stuff that we're just kind of helping people get that first step forward. Well, it sounds like an extremely valuable program. All right, John, you wouldn't be uh, uh, in this job and doing what you do without a little bit of farm bill talk. So, I mean, that's the topic that it is right now. Give us, give us your, uh, your take take on the farm bill? Well, I, I'm glad to see that we've got an extension. We needed the extension on, on the one to at least keep us going because I've, I've looked at what the, uh, if we went back to the uh, the old policies and standards, that would be pretty tough for agriculture. Um, but uh, I, I'm glad to see we got the extension. I'm looking hopefully that in the new farm bill, we're, we're going to see some adjustments to some of the programs out there. Um, We've, we've had some of the nuances of things like the price loss coverage uh, have are going to kick in. There's this effective uh, price that's uh, going to make things maybe a little bit closer in terms of where market prices and that we maybe get some protection um, depending on where markets go. Um, the agricultural coverage or risk coverage or ARC program, uh, I think is still looking like it's going to function pretty well for the most part. It's the matter of what do we run into? Um, and so a lot of what we're looking at right now in extension, what I've been helping with is trying to think through for people, where do you think prices are going to go? What do you think yields are going to be? Uh, we had a pretty tough harvest this year, uh, in Michigan, we, we know a lot of places soybean yields were down, so maybe we're going to see some ARC county payments, uh, maybe some ARC individual payments for, for farms. And I'm kind of looking at that for folks trying to weigh through what the decisions are. And that's that's a big part of this time of year. We start looking at getting some projections out there. We go back to that marketing and thinking about where markets are going to go. Uh, that all kind of ties into it because that farm bill is really – an extension of those risk management programs. There's some tie-ins there that are important that uh, we try to help people understand. There's uh, the supplemental coverage option actually has a direct tie-in to the PLC program and the ARC County program through Farm Bill. So it's an important topic. Um, we're we're kind of looking right now with the extension of, all right, we, we got another year of this. We, we know what to expect. We know these programs. What are we looking at? crystal ball out into the future, what are the scenarios? And I think it's important for farmers that being this time of year, you've just gone through harvest or hopefully you're wrapping up harvest if you're not done with it yet. Where do you where do you feel back to that risk adverse nature? Where do you think from a risk standpoint your farm sits if you're running in the same situation next year, which program do you think is going to be the most helpful? And then I'm hoping in the new farm bill, we, we see some further adjustments to kind of help when, you know, we got a lot of market swings the last couple of years. We had that big increase in price and now we're kind of on the, the downward trend. Where do we have maybe something in place? Yeah, that maybe kind of helps us uh, maybe do a little bit more protection when we have that first initial market decline. Uh, I'm really a big fan of kind of introducing something that maybe accounts for that a little bit more, but uh 
we'll see what our, our folks in Congress do. But I, I think from what I'm hearing, there's a lot of different ideas out there they're looking at to try to figure out how do we get through that with the, the money that we have to spend, because money is always the issue in terms of government appropriations. But I think that's a big key for farmers to think about what where do you think your risk is going to be at and which program is going to be the best risk management option for you to couple with your insurance, couple with your marketing plans. It's funny how all this stuff ties together at the end of the day because it's all interlinked somewhere in there. Absolutely. It's time for our famous three. So as we wrap up, wrap up our conversation, just a couple of final questions for you, a little bit more on the personal side. So, What's your go-to resource when it comes to work, the stuff you do, whether it's a book or a web or, or what be it? Uh, probably my, my biggest go-to resource is uh, I actually look to my colleagues uh, in other states. Uh, I like to look at what some of our other university colleagues are doing. Um, Iowa State's a, a great place to look for information. Uh, university of Minnesota are probably two of my, my big favorites. Uh, Kansas State. Um, and I, I gotta, I gotta give a little, little shout out to Kansas state cause I got my master's degree from, from there. So, uh, okay. um, but I, I know a lot of folks that work there and that's usually my, my go-to resources. I'm looking at something I, I, I do like the farmers do. I reach out to the people that, that I know that maybe run into the same situation, say, Hey, here's what I'm trying to figure out. Do you, do you have an idea on this or maybe how have you approached this? And then we start kind of getting the the brainstorming going a little bit and thinking through what's going on. And that's usually my big help to kind of think through, how do I take maybe what I'm seeing somewhere else and help the producers here? And uh, that, that network of people, it's important in my job as much as it is for, for anybody else. So I, I very much take the farmer approach to, to looking at resources to help me out. Fantastic answer. Uh, your second question, what's your favorite leisure activity? What do you do on the off time if you ever get any? <laughs> well, if if I get any off time at all, uh, and I, I haven't had as much time to do it, I've snuck out for a couple times the past two years. But I am a huge tractor pulling fanatic. Um, we uh, we've got a couple pulls we we go to. I, I've got a tractor on the farm that uh, I love the chance to get out there and and go pull with it. It's it's nothing fancy. It's just farm stock. I haven't put you know tens of thousands of dollars into it or anything. It's uh, it is actually it's designed to farm with mm -hmm. but it's it's fun to go out there because you know it's not just you that's out there pulling you've got family members cousins uncles uh you know i take great pride any year i can beat my dad um <laughs> you know bragging rights is the whole big thing and yeah. so that's that's kind of that's kind of the big thing i like to get out there and do when i get the chance to do it all right john thank you so much as a final wrap up is there any place that we could send people to or listeners can go to they want to find out more about what your work or, or anything about what you're doing at MSU. Uh, a lot of stuff that that I work on, you can find at the MSU Farm Business Management website, um, and you can type that right into Google and and find it right away. Uh, that actually, we've we've got a lot of different things listed on the site, kind of by by topic area. So if you're looking for something on loans, something on insurance, something on marketing. Uh, we've even got links to beginning farmer resources. Uh, a lot of the work on the demand series can be found right from that same site. Uh, I would say that's probably the, the number one place to find anything I've worked on. Uh, you can also find my contact information there besides uh, when you're looking up here for, for the podcast. So uh, great resource, a lot of good information that not only that I put on there, but really the rest of the team we have there at MSU uh, on the farm business management team 
Uh, we're, we're always putting new stuff up all, all the time. So a uh, great place to go look for stuff. All right, John, well, thank you for take, taking the time to visit with us today. Greatly enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.